You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 43, verses 1 through 7, the brothers sent back to Egypt. The known world was feeling the effects of this severe famine. Jacob's sons had eaten up all the bread made from the grain they got from Joseph in Egypt. So Jacob tells them to go back and buy a little more food. This time Judah speaks up, rather than Reuben, beginning the transfer of preeminence in the family to him. The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down, because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. So he reminded his father of the complicating factor. They had to bring Benjamin, or they wouldn't even get an audience with the intimidating governor. Rather than addressing that issue, Jacob railed against the fact that the man even knew this about their family. Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? He still saw all that was happening in relation to himself. They answered they were only being honest and couldn't possibly have known he would demand to see Benjamin. They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know, he would say, bring your brother down here. Verses 8-10, through Judah's offer of surety. Reuben had foolishly offered that Jacob could kill his sons if Benjamin didn't return with them. The offer wasn't even dignified with a response. But Judah made a bold, unselfish proposal. Send the boy along with me and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. There was an urgency because death by starvation was a real possibility for all of them. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. So this offer to be a guarantee of Benjamin's safety is, or surety is a legal term for a person who agrees to take responsibility for another, usually someone accused of a crime and released on bail. They are promising that the person will show up before the judge on their court date. So Judah was promising he would return Benjamin to his father safe and sound. Then he adds, as it is, If we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. He could have added, not looking at anyone in particular, Dad. If a round trip took a month, then this is about two months later. (coughs) Verses 11 through 14, Jacob acquiesces. Jacob finally sees he cannot fight against the inevitable. If they want food, he has to release his hold on Benjamin. But he sends along a gift of whatever they may have of value. He calls it a little gift, but it was likely substantial, all they could spare, because if if it didn't sway this man, there was no hope for any of them. If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. So we can read these narratives so many times and skip over things that may seem insignificant. And this is one of those portions. 
These gifts that Jacob suggests would immediately remind these men, even all this time later, of those Ishmaelites who were traveling to Egypt. We were told their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. But wait, there's more. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. He may have also thought he would have to pay a ransom to redeem Simeon from prison. So how many men went to Egypt the first time? Ten, as Benjamin uh, and Joseph were not with them. How many men are going now? Ten, as Simeon is already in Egypt. So what's ten times two? Twenty. So twenty pieces of silver. And this would remind them of the twenty pieces of silver that they received for selling Joseph to Egypt. So Jacob mentions these two things, the gift and the money, innocently, but it's got to prick their consciences, especially as they divide up the money amongst themselves to carry two pieces of silver each, as they had divided it up that day as their reward. So God is sovereignly reminding them of their sin. So Jacob wanted to return the money in case it was put there by oversight, and this was a good practice. Once we discover an overpayment given to us by the mistakes of others, we must return it, or else in keeping it we are guilty of theft. <clears throat> now that he knows he must, it must be done, he doesn't want them to delay. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. Then he adds a prayer that the man may be merciful, and may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. And in a final statement of resignation, he adds, As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And here the idea behind it is more fatalistic and pessimistic than faith-filled like Queen Esther's, If I perish, I perish. Verses 15 through 18, back in Egypt. They do as Benjamin agreed to, and take the gifts and double the amount of silver and Benjamin, and hurry down to Egypt. The journey itself is not mentioned because all that matters was that they got there quickly. Once again, they appear before Joseph, but he doesn't talk to them there. Joseph sees that Benjamin is with them, so instead of just giving them grain and sending them on their way, he instructs his personal steward, who is at the granary with him, to take the men to his house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal, so that they can dine with him during his noon meal. He does so, but this frightens them. <coughs> When we have a guilty conscience, even good things can seem ominous. So they discuss the possible reason he brought them to his home. We were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us <clears throat> and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. See how paranoid they are? <clears throat> attack, overpower, seize us, make us slaves, take our donkeys. They can't see an upside to this at all. Verses 19 through 23, appeal to Joseph's servant. Walking into Joseph's house scared them even more. They had one last opportunity to claim their innocence. They approached the steward at the door, no doubt hoping that he would be their advocate before the intimidating governor. They show great deference and politeness in their appeal, explaining that even though they paid for their grain the last time, for some reason their money was returned to them. But because it may have been an oversight, they returned it and even brought more. They could not explain how the money got into their sacks. 
The steward sets their mind at ease. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Then he says something that should have made them wonder. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. So what would this pagan steward know about their God and the God of their father? So this hints that Joseph's personal steward had come to faith in Joseph's God. He also admits that it was he who put the money back into their sacks. Mystery solved. Before they have time to ask any further questions, the steward brings Simeon out of prison to reunite with his brothers. One can only imagine the joyful reunion. Verses 24 and 25, Preparation of gifts, Guests and Gifts In this culture, after lengthy travel in sandals along dusty roads, the custom was to wash their feet as they entered a home. The steward gives them water so they can do this. He also kindly feeds their donkeys. Again, they must have realized this was not commonly done for people coming to Egypt for grain. Why were they being singled out and treated with such kindness? This must have felt like fattening a calf before slaughtering it. So they've appealed to the steward, <clears throat> and now they prepare to meet the governor. They lay out the gifts they brought to him, no doubt double-checking to make sure they are arranged just so. They want to impress him, because their lives are in his hands. Verses 26 to 31, Joseph sees Benjamin. Then they hear him enter the house. How terrified they must have been. They present their gifts to him and again bow down before him to the ground. Now all eleven brothers are bowing, as in his dream so many years ago. That in itself must have moved Joseph. Their fears that he would be harsh with them again were dashed when he kindly asked them how they were doing. They stood and talked with him through his interpreter. Then he asked, How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? He could see for himself that Benjamin was safe and sound, something he had worried about all these years. But how was his father? They replied, Your servant our father is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him again. So he couldn't be too obvious about noticing Benjamin, the only one who shared the same mother and father, or they'd be suspicious. But as he looked at them, he came to the one who hadn't been with them before. So he casually asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? He couldn't show any recognition or emotion. He blessed him. God be gracious to you, my son. Again, another mention of God. Are these guys not hearing this? This was the same Egyptian man who told them that he feared God. Then without warning, he hurries out of the room. The brothers are left to look at each other and lift their shoulders at the man's sudden, unexplained departure. But as the reader, we know something they don't. We know that Joseph is a sensitive man, and he is deeply moved at the sight of his brother. He ran out because he couldn't risk losing control of his emotions in front of them. Not yet. So he went to his private bedroom and wept there. When he could control himself again, he washed the tears from his face, put on his professional persona again, and re-entered the room. And he ordered, serve the food. Verses 32 to 34, the test of favoritism. They had been invited to dine with him, but the seating arrangements were unique. The men would not understand the reason for it, so the steward explained why the governor was eating by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with the governor by themselves. The Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. 
But why didn't they wonder that then that the governor didn't eat with the other Egyptians if he was an Egyptian himself? Did they tell themselves it was because of his status as the superior over his servants? Or did it not even cross their minds? Joseph was giving them hints. He was pitching them, but they weren't catching them. Then the biggest hint of all, as they sat down to their assigned seats, they realized that they had been seated according to their ages, from firstborn to youngest. They looked at each other in astonishment. <clears throat> Joseph must have been smiling inwardly as he saw the light bulb, or candlelight, up above their heads. <clears throat> so what were the chances? I heard someone preach once on the mathematical impossibility that such a thing could happen, noting the number of possibilities times 11 men, all close in age, unknown to the organizer. It's 11 factorial, or it's written 11 with an exclamation mark, which is 11 times 10 times 9 times 8 times 7 times 6 times 5 times 4 times 3 times 2 times 1 to 1, or 39,000, uh, sorry, 39,916,800 to 1. So almost 40,000 to 1. It really was impossible and should have made them more than astonished, but it went over their heads. So here they were, foreigners in a strange land, at the mercy of an intimidating, powerful man who could imprison or kill them. Instead, he had provided grain for them, provisions for their trip home, and returned their money. This time, he had restored Simeon to them, treated them as guests, cared for their animals, spoke kindly to them, and gave them a feast fit for a king in a lovely home during the middle of a famine. So this wasn't just mercy, it was superabounding grace. But from Joseph's point of view, he saw his brothers were remorseful, they were humble and conciliatory, were happy that they had Simeon back, and they seemed to care about the health and welfare of both Benjamin and their father. But were they really changed? He had to see if they were still as envious of a son of Rachel when he was showered with overt favoritism. So for each course of food the brothers were served, Benjamin was given five times as much. But there's not a hint of negative reaction from them. It's as if they thought it was the most natural thing. No sign of animosity surfaced. We're told so they feasted and drank freely with him. So we should be content when we're given... Uh, something and not envy those who have more. So not only is there a character arc or positive change in Judah, but in all the brothers. Sharon James says, in contrast to their earlier selfishness and hatred, the brothers have shown responsibility, a willingness to take the blame for any disaster, integrity, making restitution for money in their sacks, unity, retrieving their brother from prison, and gratitude for provisions, even when another was favored above them. So this must have made Joseph so happy to see his brothers all getting along, finally. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads, or hints of Jesus Christ, or application to the Gospel, do we find in this chapter? So just as Judah promised to be a surety for Benjamin and bring him safely to his father, so Jesus Christ, because of his work on the cross, can guarantee that he'll bring us safely to the Father. We will not be lost. 
They traveled far to get food. If they are so willing to travel so far and so quickly for food for the body, should we not make more of an effort for spiritual food? Jesus told us to set spiritual priorities. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He also said, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Joseph is gracious and kind to his brothers, even though they don't deserve it. Jesus is gracious and kind to sinners, even though we don't deserve it. The brothers were afraid, but Joseph's servant comforted them. When we fear punishment from God, his servants should offer words of comfort on his behalf. The Egyptians wouldn't dine with the Hebrews. We should not be surprised if we experience such behavior. Jesus said, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. So the brothers enjoyed a feast in the midst of famine. Jesus invites us to eat with him, and this is a sign of fellowship. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 44. May God bless the study of his word.